Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Mark Eaton. He's the author of The Four Commitments of a Winning Team. Great to have you with us, Mark. Thank you, Taryn. It's great to be here with you. I should say this is very exciting. This is our first NBA All-Star in the building on the show. So you're the one. Thank you. This is exciting for us. Uh, we should say uh, Utah Jazz, 12 years. That's the team you're referring to in the title of the book. How right. tall are you again? 7'4". We'll get into the, the book in a, in a, in a moment. Um, really interesting. But I thought we'd start out by talking a little bit about you know your life story, and that sort of led to the genesis of the book and how you, you didn't grow up playing basketball. It wasn't sort of your destiny. Tell us about that. No, it wasn't. Um, even though I was tall growing up in high school, I, I sat primarily on the end of the bench and did not have a very uh, enjoyable or successful uh, career in high school at basketball. And uh, subsequently after high school, I said, well, you know, it, this is not working out. It doesn't look like sports is my life. And so it's time to do something else. So I um, I'd grown up in a very um, mechanical type family. My father was a, a vocational educator and marine diesel mechanic. And so uh, I went the trade school route and uh, moved to Arizona for a year and learned to be an auto mechanic Wow! and moved back to Southern California where I'd grown up and promptly got fired from my first job uh, <laughs> and wound up in a, in a tire and auto center in Buena Park, California and was working there about a year and a half when a gentleman from a local junior college cruised around the corner and saw me standing out there at the, the corner of this busy intersection and was like, wow, who is this guy and why right. isn't he playing basketball? And proceeded to come in and start talking to me about uh, giving basketball another shot. Right. Because I would imagine people see your height. That's the first thing to think of. Why isn't this guy on a basketball court? So what made you listen to him? What made you take that next step? So his name is uh, Tom Lubin, and he had worked with a couple of other players at this junior college that had gone on to play collegiate and professional basketball. And his great uncle had shared some things with him, who was a very tall man for the 1930s, who was 6'9", uh, and shared some things with him about how to play basketball as a big guy, right. specific to guys, say, over you know 6'7", six, 6'8", six, that are different skills than a guard or a forward would use. And as he explained this to me, and it, and it took him many attempts to get me to even listen to <laughs> right. him, which is a whole other part of the book, uh, uh, which is quite comical. Uh, I have, you know, I think the thing that, that kind of put it over the edge for me was the fact that he just kept coming back and he was insistent that he could teach me something that I didn't know. And I guess there was kind of something inside of me that said, you know, maybe, all right, I'll try this. I'll, I'll take a look at this one more time. And so yeah. I agreed to just go out with him for like 30 minutes uh -huh. on a Saturday morning on the basketball court. And he started showing me these things that I hadn't seen before, these moves designed to specifically for big guys. Right. And it was intriguing. And so I agreed to start working out with him after I got off of work as a mechanic. And I'd go to the gym for a couple hours and we'd start doing some of these things. And it was it was challenging. It was rough because I'd really done nothing athletic for three years. I've been, I've been eating junk food and yeah. you know working as a mechanic. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a challenging transition. But at the same time, uh, I could see that maybe there was something there that was worth continuing just to pursue for a little while. And maybe it just was two years of junior college. Yeah. I didn't know what would happen. Right. But after working with him for a few months, I said, okay, I'll 
I'll, I'll, I'll try this for a year and, and let's see where it goes. You know, based on what you said, Mark, when you're growing up in high school, playing high school ball, was that the, the problem that, you know, it's not what's up one size fits all when it comes to heights and basketball players? Like you said, different skill sets. And up to that point, no one had sort of taken you under their wing and, and shown you any sort of specialization. Correct. Uh, all basketball players kind of did the same thing, the same right. drills. And I'd never really considered what a big guy could do out on the court before. And and my coach, Tom, was the first one who came along and showed me something different. Right. I looked at it through a different lens, through a different paradigm, if you will. And and uh, and that was intriguing to me. I thought, yeah. wow, maybe there is something I can do out on the court. And he, he really showed how my height could actually be an, an asset, an asset yeah. uh, rather than a liability. And and so that, I think, is what, what kept me going and, and piqued my interest to say, okay, I'll, I'll try this thing for a year. So fast forward, is it true that you then cold called your way into the MBA? I had two good years in junior college at Cypress College, and then I decided to go to uh, UCLA, which was not the best move from a career standpoint. I ended up sitting on the end of the bench, ah. spent two years there. It was rather, rather miserable uh, most of the time. So subsequently, at the end of my senior year, you know, none of the pro scouts really knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had to kind of get creative about, well, how do you get noticed? Because this was before the internet or any of that kind of sure. thing. Unless you were on some scouting service uh, newsletter they had sent out, sent around, no one really knew who you were. And so um, my coach, Tom, and I literally got out the NBA statistics and we looked up all the worst teams in the NBA. And the Utah Jazz at that time were at the bottom of the list. They were last in almost every statistical category. And we thought, well, who better to call than someone who's really struggling that might take a chance on me? Exactly. And so we Smart. called the general manager, Frank Layden, who actually answered the phone back then because wow. the front office could fit around this table. Uh. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, he said, Mark Eaton, I, I don't think I've heard of him, but send me some, some highlights, which he claimed later yeah. were just 30 minutes of me taking on off my warmups at UCLA. Uh -huh. uh, but he came out and watched me play in a summer league in Southern California. And he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I can, I can tell you've been working a little bit. And, and my coach, Tom, had encouraged me while I was at UCLA to continue to work, even though I wasn't playing. He mm -hmm. said, you know, make the practices your games. Uh, and, and Frank Layden saw enough in me that he said, look, we'll, we'll give you a shot for one year. He said, I'll, I'll give you a chance for one year if you come early and work with our coaches and our, uh, get on our weight training program, et cetera. Right. And so I showed up in September uh, of 1982 in Salt Lake City and did what Frank asked me to do. And by February, I was the starting center of the Jazz. They had traded wow. another player away to make payroll. And um, you know, I kept that job for over 10 years. Um, simply because I was willing to listen and continue to try and improve each year. Uh, and we went on a, a run that eventually turned into 20 consecutive playoff appearances from a team that had been a cellar dweller just uh, wow. a year before. Incredible. I mean, if someone would have told you when you were in that auto mechanic shop, you know, fast forward a few years, this is what's going to be your destiny. Would you have believed it? <laughs> No, I, you know, I, at that point in time, I thought, well, maybe I'll just own my own auto shop or right. uh, work in a car dealership or something like that. I really had no idea. Although looking back, I can say I, I did feel that there was something else out there. I didn't know what it was, but there was kind of this knowledge sort of within me that was like, I know there's something else out there I'm supposed to be doing, but, you know, I, I don't know what it, what it is. And, and I think maybe that having that feeling was what at least uh, opened me to saying, okay, I'll go out and, and work out with you for half an right. hour and, and see what this is about. No, we're so happy because, you know, you're obviously an undiscovered talent, an untapped talent. It's so nice to see someone had the foresight to say, let's, you know, invest in this guy because, you know, there are tall people, but not everybody can execute. So, you know, and commit to a regimen, like you said, you know, you had to do your homework. Right. 
Yeah, you have to learn learn what your job is and and do it well, right. and uh, and you've got to continue to improve if you want to keep your job. I mean, right. there's a lot of great players that come in every year trying out for an NBA spot, and right. so uh, you know each year was let's let's you got to try out basically again mm-hmm. to maintain your job, and so each year you wanted to get a little bit better than sure. you were the year before. Yeah, and there's humility involved. So that's a nice segue. You know, you talk about you know improving your game. You know, and your team getting to the top of the league and that sort of transitions to how you take those principles and apply it to a business setting and a business atmosphere. So tell us a little bit about the book. And this is your first book. I'm curious, why did you decide to take your story and put it on the printed page? Because you, you do a lot of speaking. I, I do. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've uh, spoken to a lot of businesses about teamwork. And right. I have the unique advantage of having played a, in a, on a team at, at the highest level. Right. I mean, there's only 400 NBA players. Yeah. So that experience of having to learn how to win night after night after night has, um, I think, prepared me well to look at how things are in, in business. And I've been an entrepreneur as well in a lot of different businesses. Uh, so it's given me kind of a unique advantage and from that standpoint of being able to go in and listen to what's going on within a business and look at it through my lens and say, okay, here's some things I think that are, that are important. And so the principles that I share in the book are those that you can put in place immediately to help learn a little bit more about teamwork from the inside out. So in business, a lot of people use the word teamwork, 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 we're a team, we're a team, we're a team. But I don't always think they really understand it from my perspective, from having played team at that highest level. So that's what I bring to the the platform, and that's what I bring to the companies that I speak for, are these four uh, very important fundamental principles that will give everyone in your organization the opportunity to see what a team really is all about and your role as a part of that team. C-Suite Radio. And we'll get into just a couple of the, of the principles and the commitments. I don't want to give them all away, but I'm curious your process, Mark, because you've been out of the MBA for a while. You said you're a businessman. You have restaurants and business ventures, and you do speaking, but you waited a long time to write the book. So did it take you a while to formulate these four commitments and really you know, focus in on what it is that you were trying to relay? Uh, you know, I think it was just something that I've thought about for a while. And, and having played in the NBA is, is a natural kind of platform to begin with. I mean, people are going to pay attention to you to a certain extent. Uh, I think that gave me a little bit of a marketing edge going sure, into yeah. the business of, no of speaking. Uh, but I think what people want that I notice is after I leave, it's like, well, you know, they, they know what they need to do immediately. But I think over the longer term, having the book is going to give them something that they can refer back to. Okay. They can use with their employees. They can talk to their managers about because there's some exercises in there and things that will help you discover the things that you're great at, that you're excellent at, uh, that you bring to the party uh, as a part of being on a team, Mm -hmm. as well as your relationship to the people around you and and how can I make you look good as my teammate or be there for the people that are around me as a part of being uh, a part of this whole. And and ultimately, if the team succeeds, you're going to succeed. And Mm -hmm. I have plenty of examples of that in in the book. So, Mark, all that said, I'm curious, when you retired from the NBA and you made that transition into the normal world, so to speak, and you went into all these business ventures. Were you surprised how much of your NBA education, so to speak, could then be applied to your new life moving forward and all these ventures you were involved in? Yeah, I I think so. And I think what I was more surprised at was that um, there were a lot of uh, the things that I learned that I took for granted as a basketball player. That a lot of businesses weren't paying attention to, uh, that that I didn't even think twice about being a ball player. Right. So I think that was the biggest realization was, was the fact that I had some 
some skills and talents and things that I'd learned being an MBA player that were easily transferable to the world of business as I, as I looked at, well, what's, what's the issue here? Well, this is simple. You just do this, this, and this, uh, and it'll solve that problem. Uh, and I haven't found anything yet that I couldn't relate back to one of the four commitments in terms of a business challenge, uh, whether it's internal competition or, or backbiting, whatever it is, or uh, doing a better job of making your customers look good and really being there for the people around you that couldn't be addressed through uh, one of the principles that I lay out in the book. So, so you're saying when you went into the regular world, you found that bosses and organizations weren't employing these techniques that maybe you took for granted, you said? Correct. And, yeah. and, and again, it comes back to, well, what was your training and what did you learn along the way? And, and unless you played uh, you know, organized sports at a high level, I, I don't know if you, you learn these things. I mean, you, you talk about them and uh, depending on your education and where else you've been in your life, you, you can pick some of them up. But, but I haven't found anywhere where they're all that concise, put in one package that they can implement it right. immediately. And, uh, and so that, I think, was, was kind of an aha moment for me. Yeah. And I think when you start out, you know, you think, well, I was a basketball player and how much do I really know about business? I've been, a, I've been an entrepreneur. I've done this that, and the other thing. But some of the organizations I go into are, are pretty large. Yeah, it can be intimidating. And yeah. It can be intimidating to a certain extent. But as I listen to what's really going on and trying to distill down what the, the core issue is, it always goes back to one of these four things. It's one of those four things. So four commitments. Was it evident? Was it clear the four or were there five or six that were in play? How did you, how did you hone in on these four? Well, when I was writing my, my presentation, uh, I worked with a, a business coach, uh, Lisa, a friend of mine, uh, from uh, here in New York. And, and we've dug deep to find the stories and we knew some of what we had, but honestly, the same coach that helped me become a basketball player, we called as we were putting the final part of the speech together and said, well, well, what made Mark different? Uh, why did he succeed in the NBA when a lot of people did not? And True. my coach rattled off these four commitments, one, two, three, four, just like that. He doesn't even remember this conversation, but for us, it was like the gong went off. Wow. And we said, wow, that's, that's it. Those are the four things that really galvanized everything and brought it all together. So the first commitment about knowing your job is really uh, from that standpoint of focusing on that one thing you're excellent at. So I had one job on the basketball team and I did that job well. Other my team Teammates, the other guys had their own skills and things that they brought to the party. And it was the coming together of those that made the whole thing work. Okay. So when you now, when you talk about that in your speeches and you talk about that in the book, what is the message you're trying to say? Is Do you think that the reason a lot of businesses fail is because people are... You know, there's attention deficit disorder. They're, they're juggling too many yeah, balls, yeah. wearing too many hats, well, and you I think, think we need to focus in one lane. Like yeah, I you think did. there's two reasons. I think one, individually, we start thinking we need to start doing everything. Right. And, and secondly, we don't ever sit down with the boss or have a strategy session about, well, what are the skills that you bring to the party versus the ones that I bring to the party, and how do we put those together in a in a in a whole. Uh, in a hole. Uh, And so, and I think that a lot of times people think, well, I need to work on this more and I need to get better at that. And my point is like, is that no, you need to go back to the things you already do well and do more of them. You need to really narrow your focus and intensify it around those key core skills. And if you do that, you, as I say in my speech, you you learn to honor your role. And when you learn to honor your role on the team, you allow other people to honor theirs. Uh And that when everyone focuses on the one thing that they do best, you have, you know, you have a good baseline foundation to work from. Stronger together is the whole synergy. So do you think that was the mistake in your early days? You just, you weren't focusing on one particular job. They just weren't sure what job to give you. Well, I didn't know, I didn't have the skills to really know what my job was at that point in time. 
I mean, somebody had to come alongside of me, and that's that's a part of this as well. Is that right. at each juncture in my career, somebody showed up and said, "Mark, why don't you think about doing it this way?" Mm. And I was willing to listen to that coaching and consider that. Uh, I share a story about Wilt Chamberlain and the men's gym at UCLA one afternoon, who who did that for me. Who said, "Quit running up and down the court trying to chase all these little guys," like come here, like stand yeah. under the basket, like just stop people from getting to the basket. Right. That's something you can be great at. And it was a life-changing moment right. for me. It was a five-minute conversation, right. but it defined who I became as a basketball player and carried me to a 12-year NBA career and breaking an NBA record and being an exactly. all-star and all these things based on, based on the, his willingness to come and show me one thing that I could do uh, that, that I should focus a little bit right. more on. So part of it is you then focusing on that, but a big part of that was someone, like you said, pointing it out. And you talk about that in the book, because I was going to say, a lot of people might say to you, Mark, I don't know what I'm good at. So if you are one of those people, do you recommend reaching out? You know, how, how do you find what you're good at? I mean, well, well there's a nutshell. couple different ways. In, in the book, I have a, a chart of some character traits and skills that you can look at or take a picture of. You can, you can text them to three people and ask them, you know, what do you think my greatest character trait is? What is my greatest skill? So right. traits would be things like honesty and loyalty, enthusiasm, things like that, where skills would be more like planning, organizing, coaching, leading, strategizing, those types of things. Uh, and it's interesting when I do that in group sessions and when I go out and speak to organizations, the feedback they get back sometimes is, is eye-opening to them. Like, well, so-and-so said I'm really good at coaching. Well, where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 right now, how you're uh, doing that, leveraging that? He says, well, probably about a four. Well, yeah. how could you move that number up closer right. to a 10? Well, I could probably spend a little more time talking to my people yeah. and coaching them rather than running around thinking I got to get these reports done. You know, yeah. it's like get out of the office and go out on the shop floor or wherever it is and, and spend some more time with the, with the, the key people. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes a team work. And right. um, so that's, that's an example. I just want to get to commitment too, and then we'll leave the next two for everybody who can buy the book. <laughs> commitment two, what does it mean to do what you are asked to do? So one of the things I find in, in business is a lot of times people don't know what their job is right. and they're afraid to go ask. ask right. It's like I got hired and I'm doing my thing and yeah. I'm just going to keep my head down right. and not create any waves. Right. Um, and so I challenge people on that because as I mentioned, when I was at UCLA, I wasn't playing and my junior college coach, Tom said, look, if you're not going to play in the games, you got to make the practices your games. So you just have to be the first guy there and the last guy to leave. Mm -hmm. Do your running, do your shooting, hit the weight room. And I, I understood, I mean, I didn't have a lot of success around me at that point in time, but I trusted my coach. And so I did what he asked me to do. And so the question I pose is, you know, do we really know what other people want from us? Do we ask, or are we simply just hoping that yeah. we've got the right answer, we're doing the right job? And it's not about coming to your boss or a customer from a place of weakness. It's really about coming from a place of, this is what I'm already doing. Uh, is there something else I should be more focused on? Is right. there something else I should be more, paying more attention to? Feedback. Uh, it's, it's feedback, because then you know where you stand. And if the coach isn't talking to you, you should be worried, yeah. right? Because people would always say, well, in sports, you know, it seems like the coach yells at you a lot. Well, yeah, because he cares. If he's not yelling at you a lot, yeah. then there's a problem. So it's really about encouraging that conversation and, yeah. and, and really stepping back and say, well, what does my team want from me? What does my customer want from me? Mm -hmm. When's the last time I asked them? That's you know, how clear am I about their priorities? Right. You know, we're, and so that's that's the, the, the gist of it. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because that's applicable to so many tenants. And even as a student, let's say you're a straight A student, you still should meet with your teacher, go to office hours and say, you know, what can I be doing more of? I'm, I'm really good at this. Should, do you like that? You know, just any kind of feedback just to get the conversation going. You know, you don't want to sit and, you know, and uh, just, you know, content with 
being yeah, an A student. Yeah, you know, there's, and, it's, and it's hard to do. It takes some yeah, courage to yeah. go do that, to be willing to kind of set your ego aside yeah. for a minute and say, okay, let's go in and find out what's really going on. Right. But ultimately, that's where we learn. That's where we grow. And yeah. that's what kept me going, where I was able to end up with a 12-year career rather than a two-year career. So true. I mean, we're so happy you put it in into a book form because if anyone knows a winning method, <laughs> it's somebody like you. I'm curious, are these four commitments now, would you say, are these four commitments kind of rampant throughout every NBA team? I mean, was this a novel thing back then, or have you given away the secrets to winning I, NBA no, I, Well, I think every coach probably you know, knows yeah. them in, in one way, shape, or form, depending on how they deliver them. But right. no, not every player adheres to them. Uh -huh. and, and it's the same thing in business. It's like, you know, in the NBA, if you can get five guys going the same direction at the same time, uh, in tune with the team, the coach's philosophy, you'll go deep in the playoffs. But getting those five guys to all believe in that and understand it and yeah. understand that if I'm there for my teammate, it's going to help me as well uh, is uh, is a challenge. And that's that's, you know, that's part of the uh, part of the issue out there. And part of the reason I go out and speak to share that, yeah. because we need to be reminded of these messages over and over again, I think, uh, whatever it is, whether it's my message or somebody else's. Yeah. And uh, so I think that that's um, in business. That's one of the yeah. one of the big challenges is how do we how do we get everybody going the right direction? Right. And people are always concerned about well, what's in it for me? Well, my belief is that if you take care of the team, uh, the rest of it will come back to you. Yeah, and a lot of it focuses on that. And I mean, talk about you have such an extraordinary life experience to be able to write about this content. So it seems like a no brainer to me. Congratulations! And are there more books on the way? Maybe. Uh, hopefully, yes. Okay. Get this one out the door here. And, and, um, uh, and yeah, I've got some other ideas about some other things that I'd like to write about. So, Great. yeah, we, you could see me back yeah, here. I'm sure some, people would like to hear about it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for being here. Congratulations. Thank you very much. On your career and the book. Thank you. <laughs> and if you'd like more information on the book, just check out our website at csweetbookclub.com. That's c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV. Like what you just heard, visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.